That was all so off. Can we do one more? That was like the old white guys at the senior home going to start a, an R&B band. You, know? <laughs> you ready, boy? <laughs> it is my dream. It always has been. <laughs> the final stage of Medicare for all. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I mean, speaking of old white guys, like I have to record in this reclining chair now because oh, I've bad back. Yeah, I have ruined my. I have to go to physical therapy now. I've ruined my back so badly from podcasting. No, <laughs> uh, you're not old enough for that. I know. Is it I just know, from kid. sitting a lot? Did that's how they said? See, the thing is, every time we record, I record on my couch. And I and I'm perched on the edge, and I'm hunched forward, yeah. and so yeah, it it completely fucks up my hips and my back. And no, so it, I mean, it's bad. We're not meant to sit on our ass our whole lives. No. <laughs> As it turns I, out, <laughs> I stand up to write and work, and the only time I sit down is when I'm recording. Yeah. Um. I, well, I mean, let it be known that. Terrence Ray of the Trillbillies is the first to ever have an occupational, um, what it, would it be, like occupational disease or uh, injury due yeah. to podcasting. Yeah, podcast ass. <laughs> it's a, a growing problem. Podcast You're going to have that diminished gluteal syndrome. That's what's going to happen with it. Yes, exactly. Frankly, you ain't got much to give, my man. <laughs> That's so. true. I didn't have much to work with to begin with. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh. Um, well, uh, Ken, welcome to the show. Uh, this would be your third appearance, technically. Uh, oh, my God. Three times? Thank you for, for letting me screw up your show so often. I certainly appreciate it. <laughs> Um, we need all the help we can get screwing up our show, so we we always welcome you on. Um, yeah, we had last time we had you on, um, in a conversation uh, was a year ago. It was at the very end of last year. Oh God, and, the poor time. Yeah, I mean it's really weird to think about, but um, at that time we had talked about Oumuamua. And it's really hard to resist the urge to think that maybe something was opened up, some portal or something yeah. was opened up by that visit. Who knows? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, I mean, we live in such a dumb time where we're not allowed to recognize signs and symbols. And it, so we just have to act like all that's irrelevant. Oh, well, weird space visitor came, dropped right by Earth. And took off as fast as possible, and we barely saw it as it was headed to Jupiter. And we don't know what it is, and nobody knows what it is to this day. And the head of the Harvard uh, astrophysicist department thinks it might be the space people coming. And then we're just like, eh. <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And because uh, what we're supposed to do is repent. Right, right. That's you know, it starts sacrificing stuff, right? Right, you know, like uh, um, I don't know, maybe elderly members of the Senate. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a good place to start. <laughs> yeah, um, this is uh, 
kind of the big news. Well, there's a few big news items of the day, but I mean, I woke up to. So you're in California, right, Ken? I am. I'm in far. I'm in Eastern California. Um, so that would mean that your senator is one Diane Feinstein, right? She's one one of our uh, one of our our two charming senators we have here. <laughs> um, yeah, the I guess the big news today is um, there's a big story out in the New Yorker about how apparently her cognitive decline is like far Noticeable. worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she thought Lindsey Graham was Kamala Harris, you know? <laughs> oh, That's what happened there. She got in trouble for that. But as she was saying, if you're going to hear her, you know, it's like, Kamala, congratulations. Oh, my God. <laughs> if, it, 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 there, there's, and listen, I am no stranger to cognitive blips because my mind has been turning <laughs> to mush. But if you look at the standard bearers of the Democratic Party, there's been just a few too too many of those cognitive blips for comfort. You know, I think about Joe oh, Biden yeah. uh, calling his uh, granddaughter his son that had passed, <laughs> like on the campaign. It's like man, I don't it's know about only that. He, only he could see the ghost. That's, That's right. the thing. You know? <laughs> That's right. it's like Macbeth or something. Uh, she's got a lot of of home state opposition. So there's lots of people anxious for her to you know, move into the sunset. And she should right. have done it last term, obviously. But uh, as long as I remember politicians, including the the mayors and governors where I grew up in New Orleans, whether they were senile, alcoholic, drug-addled, um, what, you know, whatever the case was, you did not expect too much from them cognitively. <laughs> Doesn't bode well, does it, that we have to treat our senior statesmen, states, statesmen and women, basically like they are, uh, you know, nursing home patients. You know, they're just pretty much too far gone, and we kind of just yeah. have to nurture them. And <laughs> I mean, you treat them like you know Bob Hope at a at the military Christmas special. Yes. Right. <laughs> As long as he can stand there for 10 minutes and read this joke that's not funny, you know, he's, right. uh, he's an institution. Yeah. So, uh, ho hopefully, though, I, don't, I saw so much dumb stuff yesterday. People saying, like, we need to have a, you know, age limit for old people <laughs> being in this or that. And it's... Uh, um, it's, it's, it's ignorant of, of all previous history. Right. Well, Whenever I mean, somebody's um, in power, they don't want to leave. Right, 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 right. Now they'll find a way to stay. I mean, that's isn't that the whole point? It's yeah, it's the point for yeah, it's it's <laughs> so who and and I'm sure she wants to pick who takes over for her, which in California, you know, we don't want her to pick who's going right. to take over. We would like someone who's vaguely progressive. Yeah. Well, also somebody that could probably operate a motor vehicle would be nice to, you know, <laughs> pick their successor. <laughs> That'd be good. Yeah. yeah. Or even a telephone. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I mean, this is also the same week that I mean, it's just like you get these daily reminders that the overlords are, you know, they're on their way out physically. I mean, this is the same week that Louis Gohmert, I don't know if you guys saw this, but 
There's that clip going around of him losing a tooth mid-speech. <laughs> that is beautiful. Dude, every and... one of these motherfuckers are like Jeff Goldblum and the fly. I mean, it's just like just oh, deteriorating hey. before our eyes. And I don't mean that in an ageist way. I just mean like maybe you should, you know, take a few steps back. Sure, because obviously with, with age, like with so many other variables in life, it doesn't necessarily decide whether you have you know, competency later in life. Right. They make a big deal out of this uh, uh, Dr. Fauci, you know, uh, uh, America's sexiest 100-year-old man. <laughs> uh, they do this whole thing. It's like a kind of pornography, you know. He gets yeah. up at 4, 10 a.m. He doesn't eat until 8 p.m. And it's, uh, you know, a cup of raw beans or something. And... <laughs> Because he's so dedicated to medicine. Yeah, that's right. what it is. <laughs> yeah, I read that and I'm like, yeah, dude, you need a, a an assistant. <laughs> you don't need to be doing all of this stuff all day long. Yeah. I mean, I, I, mean, I like the form of government that is like, okay, I, I think I'm, I think I'm fine with putting an age limit on legislators, uh, but I kind of. Every society needs its council of elders, right? I mean, yeah, because the elders can teach us all kinds of things, um, but they may not have our best interests in mind. Somebody who is 87 may not have the same view of the future as someone like me, a 33-year-old, and so who has podcast ass. And so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Stricken so, in his uh, prime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, like, you know, maybe we need to have legislators who are a little more keyed into the future, but we can have a council of elders. I'm fine with that. You go, yeah, you know, like we need to, we, witch hats and yeah, yeah. You know, long robes, and they meet <laughs> like in the under the Capitol dome. Yes. At midnight every. Mm, equinox or whatever yeah and they read from like the, and so yeah. yeah they have like a book of the dead or something that they have to read and <laughs> oh it'd be beautiful yeah i'm fine with that yeah. put it on c-span you know <laughs> yes. just just doing some entry-level witchcraft on c-span <laughs> i'm sure like robert bird you know knew some some ancient witchcraft Oh. Absolutely. God. My man used to wear a hood, but a different kind of hood. <laughs> yeah. And also, preferably at this Council of Elders, I don't want to have uh, 87-year-olds that tell, you know, group of seven or eight kids that they're concerned that the planet's not going to be inhabitable in 10 years to go to hell, you know? <laughs> well, so, yeah, so, I mean, there's been a few... So, yeah, so the news this week, we had, yeah, the, the, the profile in The New Yorker about Feinstein... We had uh, Gomert's teeth falling out. I mean, this comes on the back of uh, those pictures from McConnell looking very weird, you know, over the past couple weeks. Uh, very bluish. Um, oh, with the sort of corpse hands. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mummy, mummy hands falling out. Yeah. Yeah. They, are, they really are kind of falling apart before <laughs> our eyes. It's the... Uh, and then you got you got uh, Giuliani. Good, yes, yes. That's oh. who I was going to say next. <laughs> yeah, they, you know, it's like the shit coming out of his ears yeah. and everything. It, wow, that is that's grotesque. that's like we all have experienced that with certain you know older relatives where it gets kind of you're not sure if anybody's getting anything out of going to see him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
it's um it's all very i mean like i've been thinking this week very it's been very prevalent in my mind at the forefront of my mind that if we were going to oh i don't know overthrow the government let's say we were to have a revolution now would be the time to do it i mean honestly we really don't want to wait for the next crop of young you know uh wet behind the ears earnest um efficient killers in office we don't want we don't want to wait for the turnover i mean right now is the perfect yeah. time to do it like because you know it's it's everything's just decrepit everything is um rotting from the inside both institutionally but like literally also physically i mean if you look at these people they are physically rotting in front of your very eyes well they are in a sense a sort of living embodiment of of the the internal rot and collapse of of America's institutions, yeah. you know, our our you know our infrastructure, despite many weeks dedicated to fixing it, is collapsing. You drive down the roads, and it's uh, you know in California that used to be our big thing. What do we do in California? Well, we build immense like thirty five lane freeways with spaghetti loops and everything. Yeah. You drive around, and it's all falling apart, and we're supposed to be the wealthy state in this country. Yeah, you're the blue state. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Where's the money going? Well, I guess it's all going to the the same 10 people uh, who who are doing so well during the the pandemic. So the the physical breakdown of these people seems... I can't remember if we've talked, we probably have, because I always go on about this, but I feel that we're very much in a, a very symbolic uh, visual age where words really don't matter. Uh, The written word in particular, I think is part of what, what is behind podcasts doing so well, where we're kind of clumsily saying what we otherwise would have written. But, Words aren't really believed by anybody, including the people writing them. Right. Is and you know, emojis, which are pictographs, a first form of written language, <laughs> work so well because they get rid of the the ambiguity and and bullshit of la- of written language. Yeah, hey, kid, you're not right. <laughs> you're, you're not really doing a knockout job promoting a book that you have coming out this way. <laughs> what I mean is. When you buy this book, Desert Oracle, uh, MCD, FSG, Nature Essays, ISBN 978-374, et cetera, <laughs> what you're getting is uh, a lot of pictures. There's a lot of pictures in this book. Here's a picture of uh, Marty Robbins dressed up like a outlaw of some kind. Lots of pictures, icons. Yeah. So if if you're tired of words, too, Get this book or just get like an Etch-A-Sketch or something and go at it. Uh, but it, it's, I mean, it's true. We got to, we, and it's, it's worse in America because almost all public language is in bad faith. Yeah. And pretty much universally, it's like you don't listen to say a political leader uh, or a business leader for the truth. You listen to see what their message is to you if you support them and 
to your enemies if you don't support them. Right. And that's the entirety of it. And so we just, we don't have, it's an example of it are these monoliths. You've been following the monoliths? I've been following the monoliths. I've seen the monoliths. The monoliths are a really blatant symbol of our failure of, of verbal and written communication. Right. Because they don't say anything. They're a symbol, but it's a symbol that means something to us, especially when we see it in that original context of that pillar of shiny material in what looks like you know some ancient canyon. It's yeah. in Utah, near Bears Ears, actually. Uh, what It used to be in Bears Ears before the administration chopped it up. And people just respond to it in a in a instinctual way. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It's like you see it I don't know, maybe it's because of other sort of pop cultural inputs, maybe like Space Odyssey or something like that. I don't know. There is just something about a large object that is uniform, top to bottom. Yeah. That is very arresting, I suppose. I mean, we I mean, we've been we've been doing it uh, long before we had language, the uh, the stone circles, um, the Egyptian monuments, right? You know, ar- around the world we have standing stones, and they're all meant to convey the same thing—a sense of like power and uh, uh, eternal uh, uh, cycles of life and yeah. whatnot. And they're unadorned, you know. They're stones in a circle. Yeah, you're right. You're you're absolutely right. It is very interesting to think about because it feels like as a society now we don't have those I don't know, we do have those, um but we don't have them in the way that we used to, I guess. Um Yeah. Uh I I think that what you're saying though is it's coming it, that that form of communication is coming back in a way. Um is is that kind of what you're saying? Do you think that that's true? It is. I think we should just replace everything with stone circles. Wouldn't that be good? And monolith. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you 100. Percent argue over it. What what are, what are what are some of the like the theories about the monoliths, like their origins, where they come from, and all that kind of stuff? How should we feel about the monoliths, Keith? I think we should enjoy it. You know, that's about. All you can do with something like that is so I've been in uh, political media for a long time before I mostly got out. And the the time between the presidential election and late January when the new people come in has always been a, a time where the national news desk sort of relaxes. Right. Yeah. And they haven't been able to quite as much with this one but it's in our it's kind of in our our seasonal internal calendars that we know every four years we can kind of ignore the news and not worry so much and try to enjoy the holidays and whatever and that's where these odd stories always kind of spring up and and change uh kind of change our focus so 
the last election at the end of 2016, that's when the New York Times came out with their UFO front page stuff. Yeah. Right. This time we got the monolith. Yeah, it's like is there's there's always some kind of story that that feeds some some deeper kind of archetypal needs when the the political people are taking their holidays. Right. Yeah. You know, and we yeah, need it. You're right. It does feel like um well, I don't know. What were you going to say something Tom? I don't want to cut you off. Oh no, I was just going to say that that uh the Amuamua story kind of came the tail end, I think the 2018 primaries around there and I Yeah, I the midterms. Remember, yeah, I could or yeah. midterms, I'm sorry. Yeah, the midterms and I can remember um getting ready to go into this Thai restaurant in Yellow Springs, Ohio and I just heard your episode of Desert Oracle. And nothing was the same for me <laughs> again after that. I've sat there, everybody sat there ordering, and I just, I can't get it together. I'm like, but a mua mua. <laughs> you know. They're looking at me like I'm crazy. I was like, no, they don't know what it's made of. It's a cylinder. It's a space cylinder. But, yeah, and we what? still don't. And we finally just yeah. had to, you know, go on go on with our lives. <laughs> you know, like, uh, it's, it's, it's not like uh, a... a, a, a acceptable answer to everyone is forthcoming you know the, right. the astrophysicists can't even agree on the nature of the object them, itself can't agree if it's an asteroid a comet or something else did you guys see kind of on this note did you guys see a few weeks ago there was this news headline yeah, i think it kind of fits in the same time frame you're talking about ken post-election there was this headline they tried to do like a Oumuamua 2.0, but it was, you know, janky and fucked up. The headline was like, Comet in our solar system worth $80 trillion billion or something like that. Of oh, rare... yeah. yeah. Did you guys see that? Yeah, but the, the they're going to uh, do the what we call on this planet rare earth minerals right, that are right. used our phones to ruin all of our lives. We need a lot more of this stuff. <laughs> so if we can go mine this asteroid, the idea is that they can like cut chunks out and drop them onto earth. That'd be funny. if it like dropped onto Silicon Valley. <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> we could get that lucky. Though. We don't know what happened. If it made me rich, I would, I would be okay with it being dropped in my front yard. Just, you know, land, just landing, in my front yard, a massive pile yeah, of rich like space a, rock. A dead carrier pigeon or something. Yeah. <laughs> they could do that to distribute wealth across Earth. Just blow the thing up right in its at, in the Earth's atmosphere. And whatever lands you get to keep. <laughs> well, I mean, with, with our luck and uh, both sharing the wealth and in resource exploitation... We'd cut the the rocks the wrong size, and they'd kill us all. Right, that's true. You're absolutely right. But you know, I hate to make it gloomy. I was, I was, I was, I was trying to agree with the uh, uh, the the positive nature of these mystery stories. You know, last year we had a mystery story that did go briefly national, but it was kind of too much for people. It kind of faded out. Um, over the over the Great Plains, we had thousands of people seeing these mystery drones. Yeah, I messaged you Nobody about this recently. They were. 
Yeah, they were. It started. It started just about a year ago. Is when it got crazy. Um, it started in northeastern Colorado, rural, flat part of Colorado, and radiated out. And what people were seeing, and these you know, these these were not confused Airbnb guests who had never been outside and seen a satellite or whatever before. These were people who live on farmland in the Great Plains, yeah, and know what you know know what they're used to seeing. And what they were seeing were these grid patterns of what they called drones. Um, And they were flying, there there would be anywhere between like six to about a dozen of them flying in a a, a equidistant space line about 300 feet over the ground. And 300 feet is not far. You know, you you can see what's there if there's something to see. If a plane flew over you at 300 feet, you'd have a heart attack. Yeah. Um, and they, the, the people who saw these things had various theories. They thought that it seemed to be like something was doing some sort of surveying or grid. So they started saying, maybe it's China trying to survey the Great Plains. It could not, they look at a map, (laughs) you know, it doesn't make much sense. And why, why are they flying at night? That's something you'd want to do in the daytime. It's hard to fly at night. And the FAA says you're not even supposed to fly commercial drones at night. Right. Because it's unsafe. And this was happening in freezing-ass Midwestern weather, high winds. Nobody ever saw one take off. Nobody ever saw one land. And it gets weirder. Some of them would chase or pace sheriff's cars, big rigs on the interstates, farm trucks, others after people were outside looking at them and freaking out, would go inside, they'd come down and shine the lights in the people's houses. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Holy and, shit. You know, and this wasn't like fringe stuff, you know, Reddit, uh, subreddits about aliens or whatever. This was The Denver Post did the best steady coverage of this because it was that much of a hysteria. So they had they sent reporters and photographers. They got close up pictures of the things flying right overhead. And if you know UFO lore, they look like black triangles. Right. Yeah. White light in the middle, red lights on the end, and silent or with kind of a humming. It makes your hair stand up, like static electricity kind of stuff. Right. So when they stopped, they stopped when the first cases of the Rona arrived in the United States as far as we knew at the time. Yeah. So I looked at that. I mean, am I the only idiot out here who's ever read like a Carl Jung book? Yeah. (laughs) This, this was a a symbol of something, uh, 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 a a terrible kind of intruder that was coming into the heart of America and was going to mess everything up. Yeah. And I wonder if there were similar signs and omens because there's a worldwide pandemic, obviously, in other places. And I've gone kind of looking around to see if I could find, like, you know, did China have a bunch of weird stuff happening in late October or something? It's hard to tell because I I can't read the, the, (laughs) the, the few UFO sites. There's UFO sites are not really tolerated in China. Really? Because they, they breed suspicion yeah. and, and paranoia. Um, 
but there are a few and but i can't read them and so i don't know that is so interesting it's like ufo sites are almost encouraged in america i mean in many ways we live in a in a culture that very much encourages you well i don't know maybe not at the same time i don't it, you're you're right you're right and and it has been american policy it has been pentagon policy and uh intel agency policy since the robertson panel in the 1950s to encourage lunatic ideas about ufos right because right. what it does is it marginalizes the people who who see them it marginalizes the people who consider them a threat and it sort of sweeps the issue under the rug yeah it deflects criticism from the pentagon's military activities and and basically you know gets you onto other you know chasing down other avenues you know if you're yeah. not yeah, if you're if you're if you're looking into the UFOs, you're not looking into the Star Wars missile program or, um, you know, selling guns to Contras or whatever. Yeah, right, right. Which was the '80s situation very much. Right, the U.S. military involved in every possible dirty thing, also building through our aerospace contractors like Skunk Works, Lockheed, uh, McDonnell Douglas, in mostly in uh, California in the California desert building all these fantastic things, stealth bombers, stealth fighters. And so now and then, like, there's a case of a, a, a prototype of, uh, of the, the B-1, the B, not the B-1. What the hell is the stealth fighter designation? I don't remember. The, the jet stealth version. That, yeah, the, right. the fast. One of those crashed around Death Valley in what's called the supersonic corridor, which is public land that, connects Groom Lake Area 51 with Edwards Air Force Base so they can fly real fast and low there and not get complaints. And if something crashes, they can go pick up all the pieces. It's not like in an uh, uh, outlet mall parking lot. You know? um, something crashed there, and it got around locally. And this was back when we still had active UFO groups like MUFON with volunteer investigators in every county. And so stories were fed to the UFO people that there were all these sightings of some kind of like close encounter style UFO. Yeah. So that you'd see those monitoring this stuff because all the aerospace spies follow all the UFO stuff for signs of, you know, new, new projects, new stuff. And it just to muddy the waters. And, and so then it's just like, Oh, it's, you know, another, another nutty thing. Yeah. We don't, we don't have to go comb the desert to see if we can find the motherboard from the stealth fighter. <laughs> Nah. Well, I mean, in some cases, the history of this is very fascinating. Um, you talk a little bit about this in your book. I wanted to get you to talk a little bit about um, one of the characters in your book who you talk about a lot. There's some overlap here between military technology, rocket missile technology, and the occult. I think that oh, yeah. ex- finds its best expression in Jack Parsons. Who was Jack Parsons? What what did he do? You know, what was his connection to the occult and, and you know, what was his job? Jack Parsons was a self-taught rocket genius. Um, he, along with uh, Werner von Braun from Nazi Germany, yeah, are kind of fathers of, of modern rocketry. And uh, a lot, you know, a lot of these pioneers were these kind of self-taught savants who 
figured things out and technology was was evolving so rapidly during those times that you could come in and and be not much more than a you know high school dropout or whatever and get yourself into this world right so parsons loved rocketry he was a futurist in that sense but he was also an occultist and he was uh uh student or a disciple of uh Aleister Crowley um oh. the the great beast the great satan the, the most wicked man that ever lived that's right that's <laughs> right um i think that came from the hearst newspapers in new york oh, okay <laughs> um and then he had the great satan that came from the the uh fleet street tabloid press i believe or i might have those backwards but he, he encouraged the stuff yeah he wanted to be notorious. So a lodge uh, of the uh, uh, OTO, the, the the black magic lodge that uh, he started from the ruins of the old Golden Dawn, which was a romantic era British European occult group that Yates was in and all these other people. He had a big house a big old like craftsman mansion in pasadena on south orange and it was sort of the bohemian headquarters for pasadena in the 40s and he had all of his interesting buddies including science fiction writers who were into the occult and his best buddy at the time they even shared you know wives and such uh, was uh l ron hubbard interesting right so they lived together as roommates in this place um leading up into World War II or and after World War II or maybe only after World War II. There's good histories on this. I'm, I, I, I'm not prepped with the dates on this. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a general but era. We got you. The most important thing that they did occult-wise is they went out and did this ritual called the Babylon Working in the Mojave Desert just outside of what's now Edwards Air Force Base. I think it was still called Murak at the time, um, where Chuck Yeager made all his jet uh, speed. Sound or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And they did this ritual uh, that was supposed to open a like dimensional portal and let these these spirits come in, these sort of spirits and entities and intelligences that Crowley had encountered at the Great Pyramids in Egypt. And he you know, drew this one lamb, which looks just like your you know, classic E.T. with the big head and the little slit for a mouth and no nose, etc. And they... They thought it worked because one of the things that they summoned was the, the the whore of Babylon, the red-haired harlot. And this this artist who had a long career um, in, in the sort of Hollywood avant-garde, uh, Marjorie Cameron, showed up at the house on South Orange in Pasadena and said, hi, I hear you're doing, you know, the magic rituals and stuff. I'm interested. And so L. Ron and Jack Parsons are like, it worked. He <laughs> <laughs> has red hair. <laughs> so uh, it was supposed to bring in this new age, this new age where the, the, the Crowleyan thing that doesn't 
get mentioned much is that he really was sort of a utopian and he uh, was strong on the belief that every man and woman uh, becomes stars, not like Hollywood stars, but of course it's a, you know, nice twist that it happens kind of in that, in that realm in LA. Yeah. Um, but because, you know, we're made out of stardust. Right. Sort of a reverse of Carl Sagan. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So uh, that's who Parsons was. Parsons blew himself up in his garage. Um, there are conspiracy theories about, you know, whatever happened. But he was kind of in decline. He was so eccentric that the the rocketry institution that, that he was one of the primary creators of, the Jet Propulsion Lab, ended up becoming Caltech, part of Caltech, and he was sort of shuffled off because he was too weird. And he ended up working on special effects for Hollywood movies, doing explosions and things like that. And he had a lab in his garage and he he was playing, you know, playing with rocket fuel in the garage. So maybe it's a grand conspiracy, but it wasn't like he was working on something real hot that was coming up. He was just trying to get by. L. Ron Hubbard stole his boat. Right, right, right. <laughs> Took it to Florida. Right. With all of his money, I think, too, right? Yeah, and and the and the horror yeah. Babylon. Wow. <laughs> wow. What a, a coup. <laughs> I just watched The Master the other night. Truly. The time. It was incredible. The what? The Master. Oh the, man. Paul Thomas the Anderson. Master. It's a great Philip movie. Hoffman. Oh, I've never seen that. Yeah, yeah, it's unreal. Oh, really? It's, it's great. Um No, uh, it's a very compelling story, right? Like this idea that something happened, something very uh, maybe supernatural or powerful or or whatever happened and released, you know, demons or spirits or or something bad into the world. I mean, I'm just finishing a a third rewatch of Twin Peaks, and it very much oh. feels like David Lynch takes the position that that event was the atomic bomb. Um, that that was the sort of event yes. that unleashed so much, you know, misery and in 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 you know hurt and pain into the world. I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, it did. And is it's uh, and there's been this uh, uh, this 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 idea that 1946 47 was the 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 move into the the age of of kind of rapid self destruction uh, and it certainly has you know felt like that during my time on this planet yeah because the the first stuff I remember was uh, mutually assured destruction acid rain uh, love canal yeah the the uh, oil embargoes and people park for two nights outside the gas station, everything. So it, it does. I mean, of course every era has its disasters and stuff, but it's, it seemed like a kind of rapidly escalating fallout from a new international order based on nuclear war. Yeah. I'm speaking of speaking of, you know, just as a sort of side tangent, I think David Lynch and Mark Frost are both very 
interested in Jack Parsons, right? I mean, I think isn't that kind of whole mythology behind the 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 return, the third season? There, there's two, there's two parts of this, as I understand. There is Lynch, who doesn't like to get into these details and likes the 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 symbolism and the the visuals and is less concerned about what the the narrative threads are yeah and there's mark frost who who writes these books that are kind of companions to uh twin peaks that that weave in all of these supernatural and conspiracy and ufo uh, stories into into that world and some of this stuff got into the show in uh, the second or third second the second season season, i guess yeah definitely i've had a hard time watching those i didn't like them at the time (laughs) they're rough they're pretty rough (laughs) creators left yeah like okay what what is this show is it a soap opera right right is it like strangers with candy it was like that for a while uh, and they 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 lost the 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 plot, but they did involve this Air Force colonel or general or something, Bobby's father, and he's yes. working at some sort of uh, station that's supposed to be picking up, you know, ET like SETI transmissions. Yeah, Major Briggs. Yep, yep, Briggs, and there's a. Boy, I just upgraded his military career, didn't I? <laughs> right up to general. Yeah, we got a, we got a general in Twin Peaks. Uh, and there's a point where they try to find the source of of these signals, and the source is not space. The source is the forest. Right, right. So th- this kind of loops back to the kind of trans-dimensional portals opening up and the evil or whatever the hell coming through. Yeah. Which, and these are ancient ideas, too. Right, right. I mean, honestly, throughout the pandemic, I've found myself warming up more and more to the idea. I mean, like, Lynch is very fascinated, I think, by sort of breaks in reality and just sort of holes you can fall into um, in that other things come out of into the world. And uh, I mean, any, I don't know. I could talk about this forever. It's totally tangential. But there was um, there is a connection with Jack Parsons. Um, but I, I wanted to talk about, like, you know, why include him in the book? What What is it about characters like Parsons and, and a lot of these other stories that you're trying to what is the thread you're trying to sort of weave through them in this sort of tapestry uh, that you're presenting of the desert? The thread with these people whether they are people who come out and dedicate their lives to uh, preserving the desert, like Minerva Hamilton Hoyt, who was the kind of John Muir, not kind of, she was the the equivalent of the John Muir for Joshua Tree, Death Valley, Anza Borrego. Uh Um, Artist, whether they be musicians or fine artists, dancers, whatever, there's all these characters who are drawn out to the desert to because it, the 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 life of the city the life of the civilization while they need it for certain things they can't access the the connection with the divine or the devil or whatever it is 
because you've got to be in a quiet place for that. You've got to have space. You know, everybody always, if they're a, a, a prophet, a magician, a madman, you know, Charles Manson did the same thing. They need the serenity and the quiet because a lot of these people, a lot of artists, a lot of occultists, uh, and a lot of the people who have done, you know, what we consider great evil and who have these occult tendencies as well, they are what in old societies would have been seers or, you know, have shamanistic tendencies. And when you have that, you're bombarded by everything that happens around you. So you get on a subway and it's, uh, uh, you 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 can't turn off all the other people and all their problems and their pain and their thoughts and their perversions and everything and you're kind of assaulted all the time by the psychic noise. Yeah. So to free yourself from the psychic noise, you got to go to the woods. You got to go to the mountains. You got to go to the desert. You have to get away from people. So like as uh, uh, Yates wrote. Your, your mind becomes still like a pond and then the spirits can, can, uh, uh, can, can cause ripples. Right. Because otherwise it's, it's waves, it's choppy. So the, so it's, it's my personal argument for beyond climate change, beyond extinction crises, why we need these spaces and this public land, um, because without it, the people who are supposed to do these things can't do them, and our society gets progressively more more neurotic and anxious and insane. So coming back to the monoliths, whoever did that first monolith, that's a magic act because that released a tremendous amount of anxiety and tension worldwide. Like overnight, because suddenly everybody's like, oh, I don't know. I don't even know what to call this. Of course you don't. We've forgotten how to respond to such things. Right. Um, and we can recognize the delight at least, but it's very difficult to stop before we have to try to explain it. Oh, I think it must be such and such from this gallery because this artist died and he made these things and da da da, and yeah, it's our it's our habit these days. But we don't know how to just be in dumb wonder. Yeah, it sucks yeah. all the uh, all the wonder and magic out of life. Those those yeah. types, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's disenchantment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the great the great poison of modern life. Yeah. But can't, which of of all these stories? I, I mean, I mean, you went from La Llorona, which is now a m- major motion picture, <laughs> to uh, <laughs> your Spade Cooley story, which should you know uh, be in the Smithsonian or something. Uh, which of these, like all these stories of the, you know all these madmen and shamans and ghosts and ghouls and goblins, which is most near and dear to you that you? Actually, for the uninitiated, say that the yeah. first time Desert Oracle listener, where should they start? I think one of my favorites in the book is about the Phoenix Lights of 1997. Yeah. Uh, and 
uh, because there's a lot of that stuff in one in one tale there. The Phoenix Lights, uh, if for people who who haven't heard about it or didn't experience it, tens of thousands experienced it. Was a night long episode of enormous things at very low altitude all over Arizona in a line. They started south of Las Vegas and kind of covered the whole state and then disappeared into Sonora, Mexico after crossing Tucson. And it uh, uh, it really shook people. Um, and this happened in a in a big city. It, it happened like in the hours after work when people were out doing things, shopping, and it was it was dark. Uh, it was March that it happened, and a lot of the elements that we see in in these in these responses to uh, spectacular and inexplicable things happened there. And one of the best is that the governor at the time, Fife Symington, once the story went national and the kind of hysteria was picking up again in Phoenix, he called a press conference because the national media had come to Phoenix. What's going on? Even though it was like long over by then. And he comes out and he says, uh, well, we found the culprit and he's got a couple of Arizona cops march out one of his aides with like a Halloween alien costume on. <laughs> oh my God. And the press is like, oh. <laughs> but it worked. It totally deflated it. It's like the air went out of the whole thing. The national media went home yeah. and suddenly you were free to ignore it and free to laugh at it. Ten years later, he goes on Larry King on CNN and says, I actually saw it. It was a mile wide. It was hovering in place over the Phoenix Mountains Preserve right behind my house. He saw it. He just stood there. He was an Air Force pilot, you know, yeah. and he stood there looking at this thing. And he's like, it doesn't add up. It doesn't make any sense. It, it had no aerodynamics. Things don't float, you know, gigantic seemingly solid things right. the width mountain range and he watched it and wonder he got on the phone personally with the luke air force base night uh, officer whoever was in charge and I'm like we don't know what it is one pilot reported it to the faa and as soon as he reported it he forgot it he and his son were in a private plane and they're coming into Sky Harbor, and he's piloting, and his son says, hey, what what are those? And he was entranced by them, and he said, I, I don't know. It was a V-shape of giant lights between him and the airport. He gets on the radio. Is there any traffic there? Nope. You want to report something? And he's like, okay, I'll report it. So he reports it. He instantly forgets the entire thing. Like a year later, he walks into his house and his wife is watching a TV show about aliens, you know, like ancient aliens, the UFO hour or whatever. Yeah. His wife is Goldie Hawn because he's Kurt Russell. And he's like, hi, honey, I'm home. And he's sort of listening while he's doing whatever. And suddenly he hears the announcer on the TV show say, 
the tail number. Here's the tail number of the pilot who reported it. And he's like, that's my tail number. That's my plane. So he goes and gets his logbooks. And sure enough, that's when he had dropped his adult son off in Phoenix because he had a girlfriend there or something. And he completely forgot about it. What? So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's uh, When he was promoting one of these uh, space movies, he did i don't know a year or two ago or something he's on a a, a, a a uk morning tv show and talks about it. that's the first i'd ever heard about that that's amazing so, oh my god 23 years ago you know it was kurt yeah. russell who saw it. so you, you sometimes the people who experience these things are kind of icons in our life yeah yeah and you, it just usually doesn't come out, but and when you know, when I was a kid, you heard about Jimmy Carter's close-up UFO right. sighting. Yeah. You heard about Ronald Reagan uh, in a plane between uh, um, uh, L.A. and Sacramento, I believe, going over Bakersfield by the Sierra Foothills. They see one, and it paces them. And you know he was public about that. Uh, you had you know Shirley MacLaine writing books about UFOs and everything. And I don't know, it, it seemed like people got ashamed of it for a while. Yeah. But it's, I like those stories that it's like, okay, it doesn't have to be like some lunatic in the, in the desert uh, who spent a, a, a year in an old miner's hut until, you know, she went mad and started seeing the spirits and whatever. It, it can happen over a, over a big city on just a like regular night with people out driving on the interstate. Yeah. Yeah. Ken, I'd messaged you um, maybe about a month or two ago after some similar lights. In my opinion, they looked very similar to the Phoenix lights, which you can find both of these on YouTube. But there were some lights that appeared over Hawaii in late October. And the videos, I thought, were pretty astonishing. And the only thing I can find, I mean, you know, every time one of these videos comes out, um, which I agree, there's something that's very powerful about them because they're experienced by many people. This isn't, you know, this isn't something that one person experiences. I mean, if you if you can just imagine what it must feel like to be in a in a large city while something massive, dark, but with a few lights, you know, blinking here and there, go, moving over your city. I mean, that is an a, just an incredible feeling, a very um, thrilling and terrifying feeling. Um, but right. I saw this thing about how the lights that appeared over Hawaii in late October, someone said that it was like a rocket from a reentry from like a Chinese ro- rocket in 2008. It's just like, yeah. that does it makes no sense. I mean, and, uh, yeah. common this people, is, uh, I mean, you know what I mean? Like anybody who doesn't even have any sort of scientific literacy can see that that is not what that is. Yeah, this thing looked like a, 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 a spaceship out of, like, uh, Battlestar Galactica yeah. or something. Yeah, I mean, it, it was ridiculous with all kinds of little lights blinking inside of it and a very defined shape, yeah. you know, a kind of, uh, uh, like, battle cruiser from Star Trek shape. I mean, it was ridiculous. Yeah. It was almost too much. It really was. It was very um, overwhelming watching it in many ways. I was very... I don't know. So, it, yeah, these things happen. They continue to happen. We, t- we tend to shrug them off because we don't have a, a system anymore to deal with this. Yeah. You know, if we were in, say, the Roman Empire or, 
uh, ancient Japan or something like that. You had priests and magicians and their job was to interpret these things. Right. Or you know, you'd see something like that and be like, all right, let's go, you know, talk to the wizards and see what they say. And they're like, uh, <laughs> we got to start planting uh, different crops. Okay. Right. 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 Yeah. Well, I mean, yes, you, you have the ones that interpret it, but then you have the people that also catalog it. And and that's what you're doing, right? And you're adding a sort of system of understanding to it. And that's why it's important for people to to look at your book and to listen to your to your show. That's why I listen to it anyways. Well, thank you. That's at I I do try to kind of build a structure where all this stuff fits in naturally. Because I do think it all fits in naturally. You know, it's all uh, it's, it's, it's all the parts of us that the uh, Industrial Revolution tried to stomp out of our souls. Exactly, yeah. 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 And it never works. Right. You know, you kill one thing, but something else comes up. You know, and this is a, another conversation. And I'm going to have to say goodbye shortly because you know who I, I got to go talk to a UFO guy next. Oh, nice. Very uh, nice. Yeah. yeah. Is, uh, but the um, uh, I've been in my house. Nobody wants to talk to me for a year. <laughs> <laughs> and now, you know, the book comes out. I got like three days where people want to talk to me. It's going to be over. And I'm going to be like, you know, looking at my Christmas tree alone yeah. next week. <laughs> so I'll remember you all very fondly <laughs> in my in my time of holiday loneliness. Uh, the 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 lack of of structures for us to develop and explore these things is what causes things like QAnon. Right. Yeah. There's a people need spirituality. They need magic. They need belief. And stripped of the eternal forms that we had of that going back to our nomadic beginnings you you make you make a religion out of anything you yeah. know, you make it out of uh you make it out of lottery tickets you make it out of drug gang deaths you make it out of some uh you know used car salesman who's running the country for some reason it's <laughs> yeah it's because it's there you know it's something to work with and other people know about it it's like you know i could go well i know a lot of weird people but even so i only know a handful of people that i could talk about things like jack parsons and interdimensional portals and that kind of stuff with but if i want to talk about national politics oh everybody's got an opinion about that right you're exactly right yeah so that becomes a framework for to to fill other needs. Yeah. yeah. I I agree and and once again that's why I listen to your show and and that's why I encourage everyone else to go do the same. Um if they want to buy the book Ken, where should they go buy that? What should they type in? You should go to your local bookstore. Um this is unlike my magazine which is a real half-assed endeavor that you can find it like you know, 24 stores in the world. <laughs> um, this is a, this is a real publisher. It's MCD books. So it should be in the nature section of your bookstore. Um, 
and if you if you're not going physically to your bookstore, go to their website and mail order it through there, and that way you, you have some money go to your local business instead of uh, you know JB up in Seattle. Right. <laughs> maybe you'll still have a bookstore next summer. You know, and, right. uh, when things maybe are are better, so you can do it that way. Uh, if you don't have a bookstore around at all, just just type Desert Oracle into your your surveillance device, and uh, it'll come up on all the online booksellers. And uh, uh, the the magazine you can get from our website, which is DesertOracle.com. Great. I mean, I, I have not finished the book yet, but I am reading it right now, and I've really enjoyed yeah, it. Oh, just, I glad. just came today. I keep I keep putting in the frame, but I forget we're not, you know, we're audio. But, <laughs> <laughs> but we're seeing it. That kid, you know, right. it, it reminds me of what you guys are talking about. That's right. Yes. <laughs> it is a symbol in many ways. Um, well, thank you. I, I hope you like the rest of it. There's... Uh, there's a bunch of stuff that's never been in print in there, so that's why I feel like it's a real book and not not what in publishing they call a bind up. Right. Yeah. Right. No, it 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 certainly is. Um, well, Ken, thanks so much for coming on the show. We have a blast every time you come on. Yeah. And Ken. so, uh, oh, I love guest. to do it. I love listening to you guys. Um, and I hope you all have a, a, a merry winter solstice and great conjunction coming up on December 21st. Jupiter and Saturn are going to come together. And I think the last time it happened, we also had a great plague. It was 800 years ago. Oh, my God. Interesting. Yeah. Well, ho- hopefully we pre-got the plague and this is just... Hopefully. hopefully. <laughs> yeah. We have that, you know, just-on-time economy now. That's right. just in time. So we're a little ahead, but yeah, that that's coming up. So make sure and go out and look at them. It's going to, uh, that, that's supposedly what was over, uh, um, Bethlehem that, that influenced the nativity story as well. Wow. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Um, sure. what night is this? Either of you pregnant? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, keep an eye out, okay. you know? Okay. This, this may be the year. Oh, man. Um, well, all great uh, omens, warning signs, uh, and other um, ephemera from Ken Lane, as always. Thanks so much, Ken. Um, we are looking forward to the next time we get to talk to you. Thank you. Uh, may, may, may the great Satan... And uh, and and our uh, our Christmas Lord bless the Trillbillies and all of theirs. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kim. We Thanks, appreciate Kim. that. Goodbye. Thanks, yeah.